right, well, good to see you. If you turn with me to Psalm chapter 36, uh, that's going to be today is in Psalm 36. Cruising our way through the Psalms, right? We have the summer of the Psalms, and uh, we've made it this far, this far uh, in, I think, about four years we've done this, so it's been fun. So Psalm 36 is where we'll be today. Um, what we're seeing in this Psalm is David, it says it's uh, for the choir director of David, the ser- Lord's servant. He's, he, but what he's doing is he's, he's reflecting on and seeing the reality of of mankind. He's looking at the, the grandeur also of God as he wrestles within his own heart, within, within, within what he sees and with his, within his own heart. Uh, and, and as he wrestles with that, he informs himself and he informs us to put our trust in God and not in our own desires or our own abilities. Um, he puts into accurate perspective, by the way, uh, the chasm between God and us. And I think that that is a, a really big thing to do here. As we look at this chasm that has been created because of sin in the world, and, and, and we look at a holy God, there should be this, this huge wide chasm between us and God. And, and moreover, uh, what we're going to see in this, and what, I would, what I've kind of wrestled with as I've gone through this text, is this idea that, that you and I want to really be loved well. That we want to be loved in a huge way. And the problem, the fallacy is this. We tend to do it on our own. We tend to love ourselves as best as we know how in order to feel as loved as we can. Well, what that breeds, though, is selfishness. What that breeds is pride. What that breeds is ego. And we can never be sufficient in our own. But also, when we decide that we are the one who is going to love ourselves best, we lower God. And we say, God, what you have to offer isn't going to be enough. So this is what David is wrestling with. This is what I have wrestled with. This is what he encourages all of us to wrestle with as we look at God's faithful love uh, and see what, what God has in store for us. So I'm going to pray for us, and we'll get, uh, get into the passage of Scripture. I'll read the entire thing, and we'll break it apart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together, God, to, to be the body of Christ with one another. And God, even now, uh, this morning, as I've seen conversations and been able to be part of conversations where we're bearing each other's burdens, we're praying for one another, I thank you for that. It's not easy, God, to, uh, to be a family. It's messy at times. But Lord, we come today humbly, just submitting ourselves to you because you are the best. So God, as we look to your word, we ask that you would open our hearts, you'd open our minds, that we would be receptive, that we would be humbled, that God, we would desire your love for us to be what really satisfies. We trust you, and we praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 36, and it's 1 through 12, not 1 through 28, like your notes say. By the way, I, I've said this a few weeks ago as we look through the notes. We've, we reordered that, so all the scriptures are on the bottom. I don't expect you to keep up as I go through there. That's just there for your reference for later. Uh, or if you come early, I know some of you like to, to bookmark and, and uh, plot out your, your map as we go through the text. But please don't feel like you have to keep up with the text. Uh, you'll miss something otherwise, okay? Psalm 36. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked person. Dread of God has no effect on him. For with his flattering opinion of himself, he does not discover and hate his iniquity. The words from his mouth are malicious and deceptive. He has stopped acting wisely and doing good. Even on his bed, he makes malicious plans. He sets himself on a path that is not good, and he does not reject evil. Lord, your faithful love reaches to the heavens your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your judgments like the deepest sea. Lord, you preserve people and animals. 
How priceless your faithful love is, God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They are filled from the abundance of your house. You let them drink from your refreshing stream, for the wellspring of life is with you. By means of your light, we see light. Spread your faithful love over those who know you and your righteousness over the upright in heart. Do not let the foot of the arrogant come near me or the hand of the wicked drive me away. There, the evildoers have fallen. They have been thrown down and cannot rise. This is the word of God. All right, so we're in Psalm 36. We're looking at, look at the God's faithful love. And number one, as we look at God's faithful love, what we see is, is, is that it exposes the depth of human sin. God's faithful love exposes the depth of human sin. And you may not see it uh, exactly in 1 through 4 as we go through this. Uh, I'll describe it as best I can. But in a whole, as you look at this, uh, this psalm in, as a whole, you see God's amazing, exhaustive love. And, and David is, is seeing that, and he is juxtaposing that with what? The depth of human wickedness. The depth of human wickedness. So, so God's faithful love exposes the depth of human sin. Look at verses 1, uh, one and, uh, or just 1. We'll start there. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked person. Dread of God has no effect on him. What does that mean? That just sounds kind of clunky. I, I think I lost some of you as I read that a few minutes ago, too. Like, this just sounds like a lot of words. Here, here's what it, David's saying. It's an oracle within my heart. It's something speaking within my heart. And what it is is that transgression or sin literally could say this. Sin speaks to the wicked deep in his or her heart. Like sin cries out. Sin, sin tempts us. Sin lures us. The desires in our heart grow. The selfishness in our hearts grow. David is face to face with this. He understands this and knows this. Not only does he see it in the world around him, he sees it when he looks in the mirror. And you and I need to take that to heart as well. We, we obviously can look around the world and say, whoa, it is messed up. Sin is speaking to the depth of their heart. But when you and I look at the mirror, it also speaks to us. It calls out to us. And what, is, what are some attributes of that? We see this uh, in the end of verse 1. The dread of God has no effect on him. The dread of God has no effect on him. This is interesting. I want to read a passage out of Hebrews chapter 10. It says this in, in verse 30 and 31. For we know the one who said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. In verse 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There is judgment to be had. There is justice to be had. There is a penalty to be paid. And, and I think people think it's not true. Like, oh, there's no such thing as hell. There's no such thing as justice. You just do whatever you want and try to get by in life without going to jail. And if you go to jail, you hire an attorney and you get out and you do it all over again. That's, that's the life that people live. Like, there's no dread of God. Why? Because they have decided the best way to feel loved is to love themselves best. And their pride swells and their thought of God diminishes. And God goes away and goes by the wayside. That's what happens, right? What are some other things in this passage? Uh, he says, so the dread of God has no effect on him. And then he kind of just describes what you and I would face. At verse 2, for with his flattering opinion of himself, right, there, there it is, like I love myself so much, I'm so great, I'm the best. His flattering opinion of himself, he does not discover and hate his iniquity. If I think so highly of myself, I'll never see my own sin. Verse 3, the words from his mouth are malicious and deceptive. He has stopped acting wisely and doing good. When you don't want to be a, a, a wise person, you're going to end up being what? Dumb. A fool. 
In fact, I'm going to read a passage out of Psalm 94 for you, Mike. As I read this, I felt like, man, you, I, this is something we, don't, we teach our kids. Don't, you don't say this, children. You don't say this. But this is God's description, right? In Psalm 94, they say, this is the wicked, they say, the Lord doesn't see it. The God of Jacob doesn't pay attention. Can I get a, oh, no, right? Uh-oh, like, like, it's like, it's like us when we were kids. Oh, mom and dad never saw. They didn't hear. They, they saw and heard everything. I don't know how, but they did. And if they didn't, God did, right? You can't, you can't deceive God. You're deceiving yourself if you think you can deceive God. So they say the Lord doesn't see. The God of Jacob doesn't pay attention. Verse 8 in Psalm 94. Pay attention, you stupid people. That's verbatim. Pay attention, you stupid people. Fools, when will you be wise? Uh, it, that's what it is. It's stupid for me to think that I, I have it all right, that I'm okay, that I'm, I've, I'm above and beyond whatever else someone else thinks I am, right? If, if that, and that I don't need God at all. It, it's stupid. It's foolish. When will you be wise? When? Can the one who shaped the ear not hear you? Can the one who formed the eye not see? The one who instructs nations, the one who teaches mankind knowledge, does he not discipline Verse 12, verse 11 of 94, the, uh, the Lord knows the thoughts of mankind. They are futile. The thoughts of mankind are futile. When we decide, you know, I, I'm the best, I'm the biggest, I'm the brightest, I can, I can love myself the best, and, and that's how I live, it is a futile thing to think about. When we think that within ourselves we have the greatest capacity to love us the best, we're wrong. So we do what we want, though, and we, and we sin, and, and sin takes over, and we are separating ourselves even more from God. I, I had a conversation, I think, with one of you last week, the idea of the differences of, of depths of sin or evil, right? And I think there are. There are some real, like, evil, possessed people that we pray for, and, and when, when God can, can heal that. But I can look at the mirror, and, and the same issues, the same temptations that someone else faces, even though it may be in a grander way, I'm the same, right? I, I, in my own heart, in my own nature, and because of the curse, I'm the same. And we see that in Romans 3. Paul writes this. What then? Are we, are we any better off? Not at all. He said we've already charged that both Greeks and Jews are all under sin. So Greeks and Jews, it doesn't matter. You're all the same. You're under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, right, or, be, or no one that's being wise. There's no one that seeks God or has a desire to seek God, right? All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. That's futile, right? Our pursuits are futile. There's no one who does what is good, not even one. Again, some attributes here. Th their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers, uh, viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. This is, this is what David is coming face to face with, the reality of this. And he said, again, even on his bed, he makes malicious plans. He sets himself on a path that's not good. He does not reject evil. In, in Romans, that last part, it kind of ties in with Psalm 36 describing the people with the throats that are open graves and vipers venom and the mouths full of bitterness and cursing. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. 
There's no fear of God before their eyes. And I want us to make a distinction. When we look at Psalm 36, the fear that is presented here, the fear that we're talking about when we say fear of God is not like the reverent awe of God and respect of who God is. It is literally dread. It is literally the dread of God, that God is just, that God is judge, and he is going to have his way with me. And I am in deep doo-doo with him. That is the dread we're talking about. And we think, well, we don't want to talk about that. It's fear and dread. This should be a, there should be a proper dread in our lives, right? When, I, when I'm standing on the edge of a, a river and, and there's a class five rapid ahead and I've got this little kayak, I'm like, oh, well, let's go. I don't think there's a proper dread there, right? Especially if I don't have a life jacket and a helmet and people watching and ropes, right? If I, by the way, if I, if I was there, just say, no, Brandon, don't do that. Ever, don't, no, 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 right? I'm not going down that. I see these guys kayak off of waterfalls and no, Whew, my heartbeat. But think about how we do with our children, right? When our children are young, we, we teach them to look both ways before they cross the street. Why? A car is coming. What's, well, what's the big deal with a car coming? Because it could kill you. Right? We teach our children there is a proper place for dread. And when you are standing on the sidewalk of a busy street, you do not cross just haphazardly because you will be crushed and dead. And, and we, we say that maybe a little more gently with our children. Maybe not. They need to understand, right? A, a big two-ton car is going to kill you if it hits you. It, we have this proper dread. Imagine a child or an, ad or an adult that's not afraid of the damage the car could do. That would be a real problem for you if you were not afraid of that. The same is true with God. If you don't have a proper dread of God, that will be a real problem for you and for me. And that's what David is saying. Look, just look, all of humanity has these traits that are listed here in Psalm 36, all of the traits in Psalm or in Romans 3. We see this. Uh, they, and they're either very, very well developed and blatant, and you look and say, there they are, there they are, there they are, or they're a little more subtle. And as they're a little more subtle, uh, they're still there, and they kind of rise to the surface sometimes, but they still inform our actions in subtle ways. And, and it's, it's that whole thing, like you point and say, look how wicked they are. You've got the three fingers pointing back at you, right? Uh, the same truths are here in my heart, and I need to, to humble myself before God. We are all cursed, though. We all live under the curse. We see that in Romans 3 going on after verse 18. Uh, in verse 23, Paul goes and says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we see in 6.23, the wages of that sin is death. So there should be a dread of God, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, here's the interesting part. We see David saying they don't have any fear of God. They need to fear God. So they started, if we had a flow chart, they started with no fear of God. And then they realized they were sinful and wicked, and now what is there? A fear of God. Well, what do we do with that? Where, where does that go from there? Well, Paul goes on. He says, the way, uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but they, those wicked that have fallen short of the glory of God, they are justified freely. They're justified freely by His, by God's grace, through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. God presented Him, Jesus, as a mercy seat or as an atonement by His blood, that through faith, that, that He would demonstrate His righteousness, because in His restraint, in His restraint, is a demonstration of His righteousness. As God's great love, He passed over the sins previously committed. So there's no fear, but we should have fear, a proper fear of God. And once we have a proper fear of God, we see God's love 
displayed for us. We see God's love displayed and demonstrated for us that, that we, through faith, can have what He has done for us. And so we have no fear. It leads to fear of God. We should have a fear of God. Then we see God's love, and God's love then should what? Drive us to no longer have fear. And now there's a proper way of not having fear, right? We've had the proper dread. We've had the proper fear. But He has done something. He has offered Himself for us so that we might be made right with God. And that the judgment that is supposed to be on our shoulders has been removed from us. It's been put on Christ. And through faith in Christ, we can be forgiven. We see in 1 John chapter 4, there's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear or casts out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. So it's weird. David's saying they don't fear God. And, and John's saying, man, if, you, if, you're, if you're afraid, you don't have a complete love. But we have to have no fear at some point. And then we just have to say, no, I dread God. I have fear. But God's perfect love. What he's done for me, what he's done for you, could cast out that fear. Do you know how, that, how we are complete in love? He says, uh, the one who fears is not complete in love. So you know how we are made complete in love? Through faith in Jesus Christ. And until we have a proper fear and see that God's love was shown as he poured himself out for us on the cross, and as, as God's wrath was, was poured out on Jesus on that cross against us, but put on Jesus instead, until we see that, we can't have proper faith either. So we have to have a proper fear so we can see God's amazing love and lead us to a proper faith, which then we have a faith in Christ. His perfect love casts out all fear. You see, God's faithful love exposes the depth of human sin. You see how bad we really are. And, and this, this amazing steadfast, faithful love, this mercy of God is that, that special word. Remember what this was? Hesed, right? God's hesed love, his covenantial love, his, his, his love that is in view and in line with his covenant-keeping promise to us. It's an enduring love. It's one that holds on to us tight. And so now David sees and understands the reality of sin and the depth of sin, and, and he's getting this glimmer because he knows the depth of God's love. And we're going to look at that next. God's faithful love, number two, is inexhaustible and it's satisfying. God's faithful love is inexhaustible and it's satisfying. So we saw the reality of sin, now we see the reality of God's love. Let's look at Psalm 36, verse 5 through 9. Lord, your faithful love, here it is, a faithful love, Hesed love, it reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds, your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your judgments are like the deep sea. Lord, you preserve people and animals. I want to just stop there for a minute. Your faithful love, right? There's, there's four qualities we see here. God's faithful love, his steadfast love, his covenantial love for us, his faithfulness, and that goes hand in hand with his love, his faithful love, uh, his righteousness, his perfection, his holiness, right? His judgments, his discernment all, over all the earth. And, and then we see those things that are very important. And how are they described? It says they reach to the heavens. They're they're to the clouds. They're like the highest mountains, like the deepest sea. So we see the heavens and the clouds, and, and, and those things are unsearchable. The vast expanse of the cosmos cannot be totally put in a box and said, here it is. And just like that, just like they're so vast and unsearchable, the same is true of God's faithfulness and His faithful love. And His righteousness, right? His judgments, His, his truth, 
His holiness. They are as high as the mountains are. They're, they're unchangeable, these unchangeable mountains. They're as deep as the seas. Those depths of the seas are, are inexhaustible and they're unpenetrable. I mean, you and I can't venture to the bottom of the sea or we'd be crushed. But his judgments are there. His righteousness is like that. So he's, he's showing this picture of how amazing God is. The grandeur and glory of God. He says, you preserve people and animals. I want to I talk about this a little more. Romans chapter 11. He says, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, right? The same kind of language. How untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God what he, that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen? And he takes care of, so they're, they're high, they're inexhaustible. And he takes care of animals. And, th- and this, this, this comes back to us. We see this grandeur of God. I, I, I've been confronted with this recently. You think about how small and puny we are. Right? We are a speck or a dot on the map when you look at Mount Shasta right now. Like, like that's how we would be illustrated, a dot. Or maybe a grayed out area of a group of people. Right, right now we're face to face and we have height, width, length, width and to us and we can see each other. But a, a, a map above us, it's a dot. Imagine what we are in the cosmos. Right? And people get down like, I, no, holy cow, I'm so small, I'm nothing, I'm, like, I'm just absolutely nothing. But God loves you uniquely. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. It is so amazing that you are unique. Of all the cosmos, of everything God has created, he says, you are unique. He cares for you. Matthew 6, 25 and 26. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body or what you'll wear. Isn't life more important than food and the body more important than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. Remember, he cares for animals. We saw that in Psalm 36. He cares for the animals. He pers- uh, preserves people and animals. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then this amazing reality that you and I need to understand about the grandeur and glory of God and the uniqueness of his creation for you and I. He says, aren't you worth more than they? Aren't you worth more than than they see God in God's vastness, you matter to Him, and He has become the provider and the refuge that you and I need. We are not going to find the provision or the refuge that we need in our own love for ourselves, in our own pursuit of our desires or of our protection. It's only found in Him. How priceless your faithful love is, God. In verse seven, um, and going to verse eight, they are filled. From the abundance of your house, you let them drink from your refreshing springs. This is just, again, the view of the grandeur of God and the satisfaction of God. His love is inexhaustible, and his love is totally satisfying. Remember, I think last week we talked about this in Jeremiah chapter 2. He said this, my people have committed a double evil. Right? We we know he's refuge. We know he's provider. We know he's vast, and we know he's totally satisfying. But my people have committed a double, double evil. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And then they've dug cisterns for themselves, holes in the ground, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. This is the double evil. Like, like we said, no, God, I, I'll take care of this. I've got this. Don't worry about it. 
God's like, no, I'm, I'm super worried about it because you can only find satisfaction in me because I am inexhaustible. And so is my love for you. And then down, down deeper in uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. Now, what will you gain by traveling along the way to Egypt to drink water from the Nile? Or what will you gain by traveling along the way to Assyria to drink water out of the Euphrates? Your own evil will discipline you. Your own apostasies will reprimand you. And it says this, Recognize how evil and bitter it is for you to abandon the Lord your God and to have no fear of me. This is what God says. He's like, if you're searching for, for love in all the wrong places... You better recognize how bitter and evil that is because you will never find it there. You'll always find it in me. This is the declaration of the Lord God of armies, he says. See, the wicked, they feed on flattery. They feed uh, on, on malicious thoughts. They, they feed on wanting to be safe and secure on their own, by their own will. But the righteous, they feed on the Lord's rich blessings. They feed on the Lord's exhaustive and satisfying streams of refreshing water. They feed on him because he, in him, is life. He says that in verse 9, for the wellspring of life is with you. So David said, God, you're the wellspring of life. By, by means of your light, we will see. John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. We want to see he's the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. It's in Christ that we're fully satisfied. It's in Christ we have full refuge, and it's in His exhaustive love that we are fully forgiven and satisfied. God's love is inexhaustible for you. And if you would come to Him in faith, it is fully satisfying as well. Isaiah 12, Alistair read this earlier today. On that day, you'll say, I will give thanks to you, Lord. This is when we put our hope in him. We sit here like, we sit here like David. He understands the depth of human sin, and he understands the grandeur and inexhaustibleness of God's love. And he sits here on the precipice, teetering between wickedness and refuge and satisfaction in God and his love. And, and I pray we can say this like Isaiah said here in 12. I will give thanks to you, Lord, although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Indeed, God, God is my salvation. I will trust him and not be afraid. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. You will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. I don't know about you, that's where I want to rest. When, when we're on that, that teetering, that teeter-totter, going back and forth, there's wickedness and there's the desire of the heart and the desire to fulfill the desires of the flesh. But the Spirit is saying God loves you and God's, God has, has joy for you and God has satisfaction for you and there, there's fullness of joy with Him. As we teeter there, what do we do? Well, we put our trust and faith in Him. And that leads us to number three, that God's faithful love is realized and experienced through faith. It's realized and experienced through faith. Let's look at verse 10, 11, and 12. So here we are teetering between evil and good or, or, or wickedness and, and uh, God's love. And he calls us out in faith. And, and here's David's response to God, his prayer, his call out, his cry out to God. He says, God, spread your faithful love over those who know you and your righteousness over the upright in heart. 
I, I don't know about you, but when I'm teetering between those two spots, this is what I need to call out to God. God, spread your faithful love over me. Let your love be enough. Let me be satisfied in you. Let me be satisfied in your righteousness and your thoughts. I want more of you. And, and then there's this whole act of faith. This, these last three verses are rich with faith. So he says, God, spread your faithful love over, over those who know you and your righteousness over the upright in heart. And he goes on in verse 11, don't let the foot of the arrogant come near me or the hand of the wicked drive me away. So he puts himself under God's provision and says, God, this is where I want to stay. And what he knows, this last verse, verse 12, is this is an act of faith. He says this, there, he says, look, there, the evildoers have fallen. They have been thrown down and they cannot rise. I, I don't think that this was actually something that happened right before his eyes. I think this happened before the eyes of his heart, the eyes of faith, that he said, there, I put my faith and my trust in God. Therefore, I am safe and secure with him. These guys are going to fail. They will not come against me anymore. And verse 10 seems to mirror verse 5. Verse 5 states the reality of God's love, right, and, and, and his faithfulness. But verse 10 expresses his longing, David's longing then now to personally experience it. Now, isn't that true, though? It's, it's one thing to know about God's love. It's one thing to say God is faithful and he has faithful love for us and, and you can be satisfied in him. It's one thing to say that and to know that. But it's an entirely different thing to what? To experience it and to know him. Every time we say yes to sin or say yes to this wickedness, we give in to it. We say no to being fully satisfied in God. So we must, by faith, choose to believe that walking with Jesus is always the most satisfying way to live, the most victorious way to live. It's not always the easiest. doesn't mean we're going to be free of hardship, but we will be strong and safe and secure in His arms. And we'll find and be embraced by His steadfast, faithful love of God. Hebrews tells us about this faith. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for. It's, it's not, and I hope this is going to happen. My hope is firmly planted in Christ. And I know that there is victory there. I know there is safety there. And I am going to live like I know it. It's the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter as well, this hope. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, right, this inexhaustible, steadfast, faithful love. Because of the great mercy that he's given us, he's given us new birth into a living hope, a living hope, an active hope, a hope that says, this has been defeated, I am his, through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance, right? What is an inheritance? Is it something that you get right now? It's something you look forward to, right? It's like, it's, it's going to come one day. We are going to be co-heirs with Christ in God's kingdom. So he's given us this living hope, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, for me. This, this is the hope we have in Christ. This is how inexhaustible his love is. This is how fully satisfying he is when we put our faith in him. He says, you are being guarded by, God, by God's power through faith. You're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You know what he's saying? When you put your faith and hope in an inexhaustible love of God, 
in a fully satisfying love of God. That faith we realize right now. And your hopes and dreams are all right there on the cusp. They're, they're true. But God says, I, I'm guarding your faith. I'm guarding your salvation. It is ready to be revealed. You have it. So what do we do? Well, I think one of the things we need to do is get off of the fence. I think we teeter too much between the ways of the world that are wicked and evil and don't show any dread of God. We teeter between that and we teeter between the, God's inexhaustible, inexhaustible love for us, his merciful love for us. We need to choose to say, you know what, God, I can't love me best. Only you can love me best. And you did that. You showed me when you died on the cross for my sins. So I'm going to trust in you. And we let him become our refuge. We, we hide and find ourselves secure in the shadow of his wings. And in him, in Christ, along with all of those who call on him in faith, you and I can rest assured that his love will be enough for us, that he will be our refuge. Amen? Would you stand with me as we pray and then continue to go into our time of worship? I couldn't, I couldn't find this book. Before we pray, I couldn't find this book. The worship team is going to come up. Um, I, I wanted just to, to think about this little this children's book. It's, it's called um, Guess How Much I Love You. And it has a little nut brown, or little nut brown hair and, and big nut brown hair, his dad. And, and it goes back and forth talking about how much uh, they love each other. And, uh, and so in little nut brown hair, he tries to convince his dad how much he loves him. He, it's, he's as high as he can reach, right? Little, little nut brown, as high as little nut brown can reach. And as far as he can hop, right? But big nut brown hair can reach higher and hop farther. And, and he loves him back even more. And then little nut brown hair says, I, I love you all the way down the lane as, as far to the river. I love you across the river and over the hills, said big nut brown hair. Finally, little nut brown hair looked up to the sky and said, I love you all the way to the moon. And he fell asleep. Big nut brown hair lay next to him, and he whispered, I love you right up to the moon and back. You see, God's steadfast love is even better than big nut brown hair. He loves us to the moon and beyond. His unfailing love, his steadfast, faithful love is as vast and as is immeasurable as the vastness of the cosmos. There are no limits to his loving commitment to his people. Amen. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And God, now as we, we turn our hearts to worship you and, and God, respond to the word of God, God, I pray that you would, would just convict us again of sin. If we are teetering on the fence, that you would, you would help us, drive us to a place of your inexhaustible love, of God being right where we need to be with you. That we would turn from sin and we would turn to you in faith and trust you as our refuge, as our hope. We thank you. And God, as we sing, we, we do respond. We overflow with praise to you because you alone are worthy. There's nothing else that's worthy in our lives of song, of praise, God, uh, that's higher than you. So we offer them to you. And God, as, as we have brothers and sisters who are here, we know that maybe they're struggling in some way. We offer those songs not only to sing praises to you, but to sing them as truth to one another. We preach them to ourselves. We preach them to one another as we sing. May you be pleased. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing.